0: A child of God. What a great reminder that is today. Somebody came here today and you needed the opportunity to hear that, to say that. You've been feeling like everything is stacked against you, like you've been forgotten by people, by God, but God chooses you He wants a relationship with you. He is for you, not against you. He has not forsaken you, will never forsaken you. He promises to be with us always to the very end of the age. I am so glad that you are here to hear that truth, to proclaim that truth with us today. I want to take just a minute and say hello to Powhatan. I don't get to see you guys very often. Thank you. It's good to be here. Hi to uh, everybody joining us online. Hi to Riverside and Amelia Farmville. Hello to the guys at Nottaway. A A special hello, of course, to the people at Tomahawk Creek Middle School right now. um, There are people from our new Adelette campus. Many of them are there right now. And, of course, the Midlothian campus. Last week, our senior pastor, Brian Hughes, kicked off our year with a new series called Who Do You Think You Are? You know, this time of year, many of us are thinking about what we want to be like, like healthier or debt-free, less busy, more focused. And usually we talk about that here in January, but we've decided to go a little deeper this year past the external things that we'd like to change and really into the core of who we are, to our identity. So today, I would like to take our question for this series and tweak it a little bit to How do you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself as awesome and amazing and capable of anything you put your mind to? Maybe you lean a little towards pride and ego. Or do you think of yourself as worthless and weak, a burden, a failure? Maybe you lean a little toward lacking confidence and self-esteem. Or maybe you've got to go back and forth between those two extremes. How we think of ourselves matters. It impacts how we treat other people, our friends and family, how we treat ourselves, and how we relate with God. How often we think of ourselves matters too. How much of our time is spent thinking about ourselves as opposed to thinking about other people or thinking about God? I mean, whether we lean towards self-love or self-loathing, we're all capable of thinking about ourselves an awful lot. In fact, our typical New Year's resolutions reinforce that. Like, how much water am I drinking? How many calories am I burning? How many pages am I reading? How many dollars am I saving? And with the very best of intentions, we spend all day thinking about ourselves. And we get absorbed then in how strong or successful or smart or pretty we are or we aren't. Reminds me of something C.S. Lewis said. He said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I think he addresses here a common misconception about humility that it means thinking less of yourself. Now, for some people in the room, That's the very last thing that you need, is to think any less of yourself. But maybe we could all stand to think of ourselves a little less often. So, let's consider that today. Let's talk about humility, what it is and what it isn't. We've said it's not thinking less of ourselves. It also isn't holding ourselves back from doing great things or standing up for our convictions. See, Jesus is the epitome of humility, and he did some amazing acts, spoke to huge crowds of people. He stood up for injustice and called out what is right and true. So our conversation about humility will center around Jesus. We're going to look at him more closely in a minute. But first, let's see what one of his closest followers, Paul, see how he described humility. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Paul tells us right here what humility is and isn't, which is very helpful, best way to uh, define something. And he says, it's not selfish ambition or vain conceit. It is valuing others above yourself and looking to their interest instead of what's in your own best interest. Can we just admit for a minute that that's hard? (laughs) That that is hard to hear? I think maybe it's because we're surrounded by a culture that encourages us to look out for ourselves, to value ourselves above everything else. A week ago, celebrities were walking the red carpet hoping to make the best dressed list. And we are bombarded by politicians advocating that they are the best man or woman with the best policy ideas. Like, take the acronym GOAT. All right, well, first, for the boomers and Gen Xers in the room, I'm not talking about an animal. GOAT means greatest of all time. Right now, three brilliant men are competing to see who is the GOAT of Jeopardy. But the most common GOAT debate between these two, LeBron and Jordan. So what do you think? Who's the GOAT? Jordan, hearing a lot of Jordan. Yep, this is a hotly debated topic in my home these days. I agree with you, it's Jordan. Uh, But while this GOAT acronym is pretty new, did you know the language actually isn't? It began with Muhammad Ali. Remember, he was called the greatest, and it was his wife who added, of all time. Isn't that sweet? Like he was his wife, she said he's the greatest of all time, makes me think, is that gonna work for Valentine's Day this year? Can we just call our husbands like the goat? Think that's gonna work? I'm pretty sure the reverse won't work. Guys, I would not recommend calling your ladies a goat on Valentine's Day. Some of them, however, would like to hold a baby goat. They might like that um, as a gift. You know, Muhammad Ali, he actually spoke on humility Then he said, at home, I'm a nice guy, but I don't want the world to know. Humble people, I've found, don't get very far. Humble people don't get very far. Well, he may have been the greatest, but I think he was wrong about that. At least, that's what the evidence suggests. Jim Collins is a Stanford professor and author, and he researched great companies. And every single company that met their criteria for a great company was led by a humble leader. Collins writes, We were surprised, shocked, to discover that compared to the high-profile leaders with big personalities who made headlines and become celebrities, the good to great leaders seem to have come from Mars. Self-effacing, quiet, reserved, even shy. These leaders are a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. Great leaders are actually the humble ones, not the ones who think of themselves as great. I think the same is true for parents. Now, I'm not the most humble parent, like not by a long shot. But as parents, I think we often do what the Bible says. We value our kids over ourselves. We put their interests above our own. Like we choose to spend Saturday mornings on ball fields instead of sleeping in. We choose bedtime routines for our kids instead of staying out late. We choose arranging for our kids' friends to come over instead of our own friends. We choose to put someone above us. We give up our wants and our comfort. We withhold our power for the benefit of others. Is that always fun? No. Does it mean we lose our value as people? No, we still matter. I mean, the Bible doesn't say anything about here, about not valuing ourselves at all. It says value others above yourselves. We have value, you have value. We just saying you are a child of God made in his image. I kind of think of it like this. Like we have value, other people have value. All right, let's be honest. We usually think of it more like this, right? Right? Now, sometimes we think that humility means our value has to just drop to being worthless. No, we maintain our value as children of God made in his image. We just raise other people's value. It doesn't threaten our own value at all. It reminds me of a story of three young men on a bus in Detroit in the 1930s. They were on this city bus, and they just tried to pick a fight with a man who was sitting alone. They insulted him. He didn't react, so they upped the ante a little bit, upped their language, upped their insults. And still, he remained still and quiet. Eventually, he stood up, and he filled the bus with more height and more bulk and more power than they had realized. But he simply handed them his business card and walked off at his stop. The card read, Joe Lewis, Boxer. Seven years later, he would become the heavyweight boxing champion of the world, and he would hold that title for 12 years. Ali might be the GOAT, or it might be this guy. What different takes on humility, though, right, as from two young boxers? Now, later in life, Muhammad Ali would be known as a truly humble man, but not so much earlier in his career, There's a story he was flying to defend his world heavyweight title when the captain announced that they were approaching severe turbulence, please fasten your seatbelts. A flight attendant noticed Ali's belt just sitting in his lap, so she again asked him to please fasten his seatbelt. He responded, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She responded, Superman don't need no plane. (laughs) Yeah. So contrast that with Joe Lewis putting the interest of three young men above his own on a public city bus. He had the power to defend his honor, to teach those boys a lesson. Instead, he taught them a real lesson, one about humility. Jesus also had the power to defend himself on this earth, but he also chose valuing us above himself. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus had all the power and authority imaginable as the creator of the world, but he didn't think that was something to exploit for his own interest. Instead, he chose to value others, you and me, above himself. He didn't take away his value. He was still God. He is still God. He just laid down his value and made himself nothing, became a human, a baby. He even let himself be killed in an awful, dishonorable way. And he did it all because he values us above himself. See, the cross is a powerful symbol. Sometimes I worry that we're so familiar with it that we forget all that it stands for. The cross was radical when Jesus died on it because the ancient Mediterranean world like Greece and Rome and Nazareth, that was all about honor and shame. Shame was avoided at all costs. You conducted yourself with honor always. You only humbled yourself before kings with a bow. Humility, that was the stuff of slaves, not of respected rabbis like Jesus. And you you certainly didn't humble yourself for ordinary people like us. And the cross. No one with the power to avoid crucifixion would have let that happen. I mean, even if Jesus were willing to humble himself to being killed, there were two other methods of capital punishment at the time, decapitation and burning alive. Both were considered more honorable. When Jesus chose to humble himself and look for our interest, he went to the extreme. And as a result, Jesus brought about a humility revolution our current Western understanding of and appreciation of humility as something we show one another, not just those in power over us, it began with Jesus. It was radical and revolutionary then. Could it be radical and revolutionary now? In a culture that's so obsessed with being the best and the smartest and saying it the loudest, would true humility be radical Could it change us? Could focusing on an internal thing like humility actually be the place to start if we want to change external things in our lives like our health or our finances, our time management, our relationships? See, I don't know about you, but I get overwhelmed with the whole New Year's resolutions thing, because I need all of them. I need to eat better and exercise more and drink more water and get back to budgeting and watch less TV, and put down my phone, and pick up a book, and be kinder to my family, and be present at home. I know I can't go after all of those resolutions. What if instead of working on any of them, what if I worked on being humble instead? I mean, if I thought less about what I want to eat, and doing what I want to do, and watching what I want to watch, If I thought about myself less altogether, maybe that would help me put down the phone, pay attention to my kids, listen to my husband's ideas. Maybe humility could revolutionize who we think we are and if that is true, then how would we work on it? Well, Jesus is the expert. He taught it and demonstrated it both in his life and in his death. So let's consider a piece of his teaching Jesus said, I am the true vine. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus compares the relationship between himself and us to a vine and its branches. A branch can't grow fruit all by itself. It can't do anything. It must have the vine to live, to grow, to produce beautiful, delicious things, to flourish. We're like that too. We can't do anything on our own. Sometimes we get to thinking that our success is because we work so hard or are so talented or so smart, but the truth is, Jesus is the source of our talents and intelligence, our energy and effort. He is the source of the very breath in our lungs. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We have to know that. The first step in humility is to know yourself. If you brought your notebook for this series, you, you might jot that down for this week. And knowing ourselves means knowing what we're good at and what we're not, what our abilities are, and what our limits are, and it's remembering that Jesus gets credit for all the good things, not us. Paul says it this way, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God reminded me of that just over five years ago. I was getting ready to to leave on a student mission trip and our senior pastor Brian Hughes stopped me. He asked me to think about while I was gone, upping my teaching from this platform as a somewhat regular teaching pastor. And I was, I was nervous about that, particularly the implications for my family. My kids were little then, and getting to do this is such an honor, and it's a lot of fun. But it requires a lot too. And saying yes to the opportunity, it would affect my husband and my kids, So I left for that trip just conflicted. And the first night we gathered for worship, we were being led by a PCC band, uh, people like Dakota and Elijah and Lindsey. And they premiered a new song that first night called Great Are You Lord. We sang it just a little while ago. There's a line in that song, says, it's your breath, God's breath. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. It's God who put the breath in our lungs. So, of course, we use it to praise him. And in that moment, God said to me, it's my breath in your lungs, not yours. This isn't really up to you. And I had my answer, that I was called to use the breath in my lungs to teach others about Jesus because he's the one who put it there in the first place, not me Apart from him, I can do, I can say nothing. I had to be reminded that that is who I am. A woman called by God to act and fulfill his purposes, yes. But a woman who can't do any of it on her own. That is part of my identity. And Knowing ourselves like that is the first step in pursuing humility. Now, if you would like to know yourself better, we would love to help We would love to have you join us for Growth Track. There's one class of those classes in particular that helps you understand who God created you to be. Let's revisit our vine and branches teaching for a minute from Jesus. He said a branch can't do anything unless it's attached to the vine. Maybe not just attached. Let's look at how Jesus describes that again. Uh, Remain in me as I remain in you. It must remain in the vine Unless you remain in me, if you remain in me and I in you. He talks about the vine and the branches remaining in one another. He repeats the word remain five times. That means it's important. Other translations of the Bible use the word abide here, like to live with. So this isn't just that the branches have to connect with the vine once, and then they're off to lives of growth and beauty. Oh, these branches have to remain in the vine, abide with it. These words have connotations of time spent together. It's remain, not stop by, abide, not visit. If we want to become humble like Jesus, then we have to remain in him, abide with him. What happens when you live with somebody for any length of time? You get to know them really well. That's step two in pursuing humility. Know God. If we want to become like God, like Jesus, then we have to know him. That's the first of five purposes here at PCC. We believe God has five purposes for all of us. To know God, to discover purpose, to get real, to make a difference, and to be the change. And it all begins with knowing God. So how do we do that? Well, for starters, by doing what you're doing right now, coming to church. We grow to know God as we listen to different voices explain different truths about the Bible and God and how that relates to our lives. We know God as we sing songs to him and about him. We know God as we watch his body, the church, in action. Last week, we issued our challenge to come to church every week this year, That's not for our benefit, that's for you. If you want to know God, I encourage you to accept that challenge. To repeat the word Jesus repeats so much in this passage, to know God, we have to remain. It is not a one-time fix. We can't go through a church phase and get really excited about church for a month or two and then get wrapped up in spring sports and then summer at the lake or the river and then come back in the fall and wonder why we feel disconnected from God. We can't open our Bibles and read one or two verses, one or two days, and then feel confused by it. We have to remain in Jesus, in his church, in his word, the Bible. And here at PCC, we would love to help. We're here every week at physical campuses and online. Our Bible reading plan for 2020, it starts this week. That's a great way to remain in Jesus and get to know him better. See, if we will do the hard work to remain in Jesus, then we will change. Who we think we are will change. So remain. If you are new here, maybe you're not sure about Jesus or about church, we're so glad that you are here. In fact, we made our church just for you. I encourage you to stick around, try it out for a bit. You can stay anonymous as long as you want to. Then when you're ready, ask your questions. Or maybe you're coming back to church for the first time in a while, a year, a decade, maybe more. I don't know why you left. If you're hurt or angry or confused or just done. But you showed up today to give it another shot. And I'm really glad that you did. I hope you'll remain. Somebody here today is thinking about walking away from all of it. From church, from faith, from Jesus. You've heard it all before, come to church, read your Bible, been there, done that. If that's you, then stay, remain. You think you can do it on your own, but you can't. You still need Jesus, you still need his church. Apart from him, you can do nothing. But in him, there is more fruit for you to bear. There is more growth, more life ahead of you. Whoever you think you are, however you think of yourself, you are welcome here. Together, we're trying to figure out how we can be more like Jesus how we can value other people more than ourselves, how we can put their interests above our own, how we can be humble and learn to serve, to love, to give, to live like Jesus.